This is Mark Lieberman, the host of the radio show, The World According to Mark, and we are broadcasting through WPBM LP 103.7 FM in Asheville, North Carolina, and streaming on WPBMFM.org. Today, uh, we're going to talk about climate change. We're going to talk about electric vehicles. We're going to talk about the challenges that lie ahead, not only for the United States, but the world and how we're doing. And I am uh, happy to say that we have an expert in our midst, someone who was called one of uh, the world's climate heroes by none other than Rolling Stone magazine and Salon. Um, and uh, he is a climate hero. He's got oh, a long record. His name is Dan Becker. Dan, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me on. I wish I had my guitar. <laughs> Well, you have some things that look somewhat musical behind you, but um, let's get into it. Uh, you have had a long and established career as being an advocate for uh, dealing with climate change. You are a, you have a law degree, uh, so you have that behind you or in front of you or to the side of you, um, but you have been... Um, a, prolific in terms of uh, speaking, leading, uh, writing. Uh, you've written um, recently or for, for a long time, I guess, with a writer from the Los Angeles Times, as you told me, and that, um, that, that particular writing arrangement has ended, but you're still out there publishing. So for those who are uh, uh, concerned, depressed about um, the failure some failures on the part of the federal government to come to grips with climate change, most recently uh, Biden's inability to have a much more um, robust program to combat uh, climate change, although some was already included in the first, uh, in the first uh, legislation that he got passed. <clears throat> and we see uh, climate deniers out there still. Where do you think we are as a country in dealing with this challenge and what, and what is the challenge? Well, thanks for having me on. Um, it's a big challenge. Uh, basically, what, what happens when we burn stuff, oil, coal, gas, uh, is it builds up in the atmosphere and traps the heat from the sun. Uh, and uh, that's why carbon dioxide, the main uh, global warming gas, is referred to as a heat trapping gas. Uh, and why the greenhouse effect is called that because it works like the panels in a greenhouse that allow the sunlight in but keep the heat trapped. Uh, and that's building up. And we're already beginning to see substantial uh, and, and disturbing impacts from the um, uh, increase in concentration in greenhouse gases that are already in the atmosphere. And we're adding at a shockingly prodigious rate uh, today's news is that our emissions went up 6% of carbon dioxide in the last year. Uh, now, they had gone down during the uh, reaction to COVID, um, but they're back on the way to where they were. Uh, <clears throat> so we're in trouble. Uh, there are solutions. Um, the biggest single step that we can take is to make our cars cleaner uh, by getting off oil, ultimately, but in the meantime, running more efficiently with uh, vehicles that use less gas. 
Uh, and ultimately, as you mentioned, uh, moving to electric vehicles, which needs to happen pretty quickly. Uh, we also need to improve the way we generate electricity. Uh, the, the power plants that, that burn uh, various fossil fuels uh, are, are destroying us. Uh, a third of the emissions that cause global warming uh, from the United States come from power plants and vehicles, uh, and one third from everything else, including cement manufacture uh, and industrial emissions. So um, we, we need to crank down on the fossil fuel emissions uh, and the technology exists. And in almost every case, it's cheaper than free because it's cheaper than the fossil fuels that are saved by those technologies. And I'm not talking about exotic technologies that take us into outer space. Uh, more efficient cars, more efficient refrigerators, more efficient light bulbs, uh, you know, LED or compact fluorescent light bulbs don't get as hot as an incandescent bulb. That heat is wasted energy. Uh, and so there are lots of, of technologies that already exist and more coming uh, that will allow us to smartly get off uh, uh, fossil fuels it isn't gonna happen overnight. Fortunately, it, we've got a few years to get it right, but we're heading in the wrong direction and we've got to turn around. So let's deal with, um, again, the, your last comment about getting off of fossil fuels, which <clears throat> obviously suggests um, what the political and social problem or obstacles are. We have a, a gazillion dollar oil industry in this country and have for years. And we have gone through periods where we were um, extremely dependent upon Middle East sources of oil. Um, in the last several years, we have politicians, including the, the ex-president declared that, you know, we're energy independent, um, which is obviously not true because <clears throat> we still import a lot of oil and oil is a global market. But getting off of fossil fuel, when you say that to persons who are either employed in the oil industry or benefit from having um, oil companies around with lots of jobs and so on and so forth, mm. you immediately, I presume, end up getting uh, resistance um, and, and backpedaling and uh, you know, it's not politically popular for most responsible persons to say that there is no such thing as climate change. There are still people that are saying climate change is not just due to what uh, to fossil fuels or what man is doing, but it's just sort of a natural thing that has occurred. I don't think there's that many of those. Is that a, a fair statement that most responsible uh, scientists and even the oil companies themselves don't doubt that there is climate change, which is in part uh, the, uh, because of fossil fuels? I wish they were right. Unfortunately, they're not. Uh, and the world scientists agree overwhelmingly uh, that um, human-made emissions, primarily of carbon dioxide, uh, is responsible for um, the vast majority of the global warming. Uh, and it's therefore up to humans to fix the problem. Um, uh, we, we have the technology, we don't have yet the will. Uh, and it's not just the US, it's lots of other countries, but lots of other countries are, seem to be more willing to engage and admit that there's a problem and 
the polluters in those countries are less willing to lie and deny the truth than uh, are many of the polluters here. Um, <clears throat> so um, we, we got to get get on uh, get on track. Um, and the good news is um, that it, it's good for us to do it. It will reduce other pollutants that cause smog and and uh, health problems like um, asthma and heart disease. Uh, it, it's good for the economy because we'll have to spend less on oil. Although yes, of course, some of that savings will have to go into cleaner technologies. Um, and in terms of jobs, um, we have to recognize that um, we need to partner with the people who are currently um, making the things that are destroying the atmosphere. Um, and we can't just say, it's your problem, tough noogies. Uh, we have to recognize that it's our responsibility to help them uh, help us. And that means that in some cases, there will, need, there will be a phase down of production of certain products um, or certain uh, commodities like oil and coal uh, and gas. Um, the workers that, that are in those industries need to be taken care of. And it's up to us to do that. And that means we need to help with education, with healthcare. We need to make sure that their income is sustained so that they have uh, a, a comfortable lifestyle. And we have to help find them jobs that, that are responsible and uh, productive for them, as well as for the rest of us. I mean, the buggy whip industry went out of business. So did blacksmith. Um, those, <laughs> those people found other jobs. And um, it's our job to make sure that we don't create orphans of the coal miners and the oil workers uh, and the car manufacturers. Um, a few years ago, <clears throat> I, did a, uh, I commissioned a poll of um, uh, United Auto Workers members uh, and other Michiganders uh, about whether they were in favor of uh, stronger rules to require cleaner cars. Overwhelmingly, they were, because they live here too. And they breathe and they have children and they're concerned about the future. Uh, they also recognize that they'll continue to make vehicles. They'll just have to be cleaner vehicles with better technology. So um, I, I think the workers get it if you explain the facts in, in uh, a, an honest and straightforward way. And we have to get it that it's our responsibility to ensure that they don't suffer as a result of saving the planet. So I would suggest, uh, again, uh, respectfully, that it's not so much the workers you have to convince, it's the corporate titans, the leaders, the in investors. You, what, what you have here is, again, maybe other countries are not as resistant. Possibly some of those countries don't have the vast amount of natural gas and oil reserves that we do have in this country that we're seeking to uh, capitalize on in, in the true sense of that word, capitalize. But my, my question might be, you know, it's one thing for, you know, uh, blacksmiths and buggy whips and carriages and all that to go out of uh, uh, favor and therefore out of business for the most part. Um, but when you have an entrenched industry, which, which you know, is responsible for uh, millions of jobs, billions of dollars, um, tax revenue to the extent that they pay taxes, um, it is it. You would think that the process of the conversion over would be trying to get together with 
again, oil company executives, I'm sure this has been tried and you probably have, have been in conferences and say, okay, we're not saying that tomorrow at 9 a.m. you have to stop you know, the oil derricks or you have to stop drilling or you just have to, but we're saying <clears throat> you need, we do need to convert and, and here's the path towards transitioning from what you're currently doing to something that is similar to what you're doing because all of the oil companies, I'm guessing, are also doing something in terms of the migration away from fossil fuels. They're just not doing nearly enough. W would you agree? Partly. Um, some of the oil companies uh, do recognize that, that the, the days of um, uh, drilling and mining uh, are, are, are numbered. I uh, don't know what the number is, but, but they're numbered. Uh, but some of them, uh, I mean, Exxon used to have uh, a solar subsidiary uh, that, that was basically hedging their bet for the future. They sold it. They dumped it. Uh, they didn't want to have it. Um, and then they continued to fund uh, uh, liars posing as scientists who denied that global warming was, was even a, a reality. Uh, they sort of stopped doing some of that. Uh, and they are finally recognizing uh, that um, the, the future is going to have, have to be one without oil, but they aren't moving in, in, in that direction themselves. Uh, there are other companies that, that, that do recognize it more and, and are uh, beginning to try to uh, diversify. Um, but the reality is that um, uh, in, in the years between now and when the exons of the world finally get it and start to move in the right direction, the atmosphere is going to get loaded up with a lot more carbon that's going to be um, uh, much more devastating. We're already seeing the kinds of uh, uh, climate effects that the scientists warned about, uh, wildfires, uh, heat waves, floods, rising sea level, more severe storms. Um, and that's only going to get worse. We're, we're only partway uh, toward where uh, the, the oil, coal, and gas industry and auto industry uh, are taking us. Um, and there are some products like automobiles that can be made completely clean um, without tailpipes. Electric vehicles don't even have tailpipes. Um, we also need to make sure that the charging, the, the electricity that is generated to recharge those vehicles is also clean. Uh, but, but these are, are technological or engineering problems that we can solve, and they're not rocket science. I mean, this is auto mechanics. We know how to do this stuff. Um, but the reality is, you're right. The, the companies have to, the companies are the ones that, that are um, hiring the workers and telling the workers, go do this, that will destroy the atmosphere, not intentionally, but uh, as a side, uh, uh, side, um, disbenefit of uh, what they're doing, um, that has to stop. And yes, the government has an important role because the companies won't do it on their own. Uh, the auto industry uh, doesn't want to make clean cars. Uh, to the extent that they're doing it, they're doing it because the law requires them to. For example, in California, they require uh, more uh, advanced technology vehicles than they do in other parts of the country. Um, the federal government just adopted new rules that are very weak uh, to require somewhat uh, more efficient vehicles and somewhat more uh, of a, a momentum toward electric vehicles. The auto companies fought to make sure that it was weak. 
uh, and they ensured that it was um, uh, not something that would make them break a sweat to make more efficient, cleaner vehicles that don't pollute the atmosphere. You know, you mentioned uh, it's not rocket science, which made me think for a moment, I wish it were rocket science, um, which is to say <clears throat> that um, in the 60s and with John F. Kennedy um, being a, the spokesperson, we said, we're, he's, he said, we're going to get to the moon. We're going to put a man on the moon. So everything um, presumably that could be done to advance towards that directive, which was way out in outer space, so to speak, uh, was done. And there was a coalition of, of folks that were interested in that common objective um, with getting off of fossil fuel or converting over to other forms of so-called renewables. You don't have that, but what you do have and what you've alluded to is um, the, oil, the oil companies have a vested interest, presumably, in just keeping it going for as long as they can keep it going. The automobile companies, um, which is to some extent, I guess, less consolidated because um, there's a lot of car companies and there seem to be newer ones coming on the horizon, particularly with the EVs, they're going to cater to consumer demand and they're wanting to not be left out of selling or manufacturing electric vehicles. So you have, but you have at the end, two major industrial groups, the oil companies on the one hand and the car companies on the other hand, wouldn't you think there'd be, and, and if you, again, have you been involved in discussions in which those two parties can find quote common ground or does that just not work today? Well, each of them is happy with the common ground they already have, which is the oil industry produces as much gas as the vehicles will, will consume. And the auto companies are happy to make gas guzzlers. Um, that's got to change. And, and, and we as consumers, we as citizens, we as voters uh, are the ones who are going to have to change that. We're the ones who are going to have to put pressure on uh, government to require cleaner vehicles uh, and to require a phase out of uh, fossil fuel drilling. Uh, we're the ones who are gonna have to force the auto companies to actually make the clean cars that they claim that they wanna make, but that they aren't actually making very many of. Uh, they keep promising uh, a, a clean future, uh, but you know, Ford, for example, uh, keeps saying that they're gonna make um, uh, overwhelming numbers of, of electric vehicles, but last year they only made 20,000 electric vehicles and they sold 800 plus thousand F-150 pickup trucks, which guzzle gas at a prodigious rate. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're talking about new models and they're talking about a clean future, but we're the ones who are gonna have to require that they get there because they tend not to keep the promises that they make. Uh, all the auto companies, every one of them, uh, agreed with the Obama administration uh, in 2012 to um, a 5% annual improvement in emissions from the vehicles that they produce. Uh, as soon as Trump got in, they went skipping into the, uh, the White House, literally on day four of his administration, and told him, roll those rules that we just negotiated with Obama back. And Trump happily tore them up at the behest of the companies. So we can't trust the auto companies to get there. We can't trust the oil companies to think about the future. Government has a role, and our role is to make sure that government actually does its job. And part of its job is setting tough standards 
that the auto companies, oil companies, others have to meet. Uh, and, the, and, and we also can choose uh, what vehicle we buy. You can't choose what oil you buy except this brand versus that brand. Uh, and you can't really choose how much you buy except when you choose a car. Uh, when you choose a car, the more efficient your vehicle, uh, the, the less oil you'll need to, to put into it to keep it going. And every gallon of gas we burn pumps 25 pounds of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, 25 pounds. Uh, and that includes the upstream emissions of, from uh, uh, extracting and transporting and refining the fuel. 25 pounds is a lot. And there are a lot of cars and there are a lot of gallons of gasoline. Uh, and so that means each of us is responsible during the course of a year for several tons of emissions if we just drive back and forth to work or pick the kids up at school and, and drive them around. Um, so all of those are decisions that we can influence um, and it's up to us to do that. But of course, we don't make the cars. We, we don't decide what technology goes on them. Uh, that's up to the auto companies. That's why government has to have an important role. So my guest is Dan Becker, uh, who's a climate advocate and who has been involved in many organizations. He directs the Safe Climate Transport Campaign um, for a, a major uh, advocate for uh, uh, diversity, essentially, or moving away from fossil fuels and writes a lot and has, um, I guess you've, you've, have you spoken uh, before Congress? Have you talk to various uh, legislators around the country to try to, to see if you can convert them to some sort of sane process, Dan? Of course, that's my <laughs> job. Uh, yeah, I've, I've testified before Congress and some state legislatures and uh, obviously met with people in administrations uh, in the White House and, and the agencies, EPA, uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration at the Transportation Department. Um, all of that is, is, is part of what an advocate has to do. Uh, and my organization, the Center for Biological Diversity, uh, has lots of people who do that. And so do colleagues in other organizations. So yes, we, we do all those things and we write to educate people and we write to put pressure on, on the government uh, and we tweet and do all those, uh, all, all, all the new things that we didn't used to do. Um, and, um, uh, all of that together uh, with everyone's effort will push the government to take the action it needs to take to force the polluters to stop polluting. The, the role of the EPA in all this, I mean, the EPA has, uh, has undergone a lot of criticism through the years. <clears throat> uh, there were even efforts or at least some talk about abolishing the EPA, um, if not abolishing, um, uh, cutting back on their responsibilities and so on and so forth. Are they, are they helpful uh, in terms of this um, push to uh, uh, go away from fossil fuels and, and try to create uh, oppor op opportunities and incentives mm -hmm. as well as um, penalizing folks who are not moving in the right direction? What's your overall assessment of their efforts? Yes, EPA is not only helpful, it's essential. There are a lot of experts uh, at EPA. The people who go to work at EPA care about the environment. Um, uh, they're, they're, um, they're trying to figure out solutions. Uh, and 
they use mechanisms called laws that have been passed in the past, like the Clean Air Act, uh, that provide the kind of leverage to force polluters to stop polluting. Uh, and that, that is uh, a, a key important role of EPA. They also do research, they do analysis, they educate people, uh, but they also uh, write these rules. And the most recent one was issued at the end of 2021 in December. Uh, and it wasn't as strong as it needs to be. And so what we need EPA to do is immediately get to work on the next set of rules to require dramatic improvement in the uh, emissions from automobiles. Uh, the, the rules that were just issued at the end of the year go through 2026. Uh, starting in 2027, the, the standards need to require much more um, uh, dramatic improvements in emissions both of the internal combustion engine vehicles that will be made between now and when the last one is sold, hopefully in 2030, uh, perhaps later than that. Uh, California has, has uh, said that by 2035, no more gasoline vehicles or diesel vehicles will be able to be sold in California. Uh, other, other states have done similar things and, and other countries are doing that. The, the science is pretty clear. The scientists have said that by 2050, um, the on-road vehicle fleet, the vehicles that people drive around every day, need to emit no carbon at, by 2050. A lot of vehicles last 20 years. So if you subtract 20 years from 2050, you get to 2030. So by 2030, we, we need to have sold the last gasoline or diesel-powered vehicles in the United States. Uh, that's an aggressive time frame. Uh, but it's doable. The technology exists. As I said, it's, it's literally cheaper than free because it's cheaper than the gas it saves. Already, many electric vehicles are cheaper than the same vehicle would be uh, using gasoline. Uh, so it's good for consumers. It's good for the environment. Uh, it's good for our health because there will be less smog and, and, and other pollutants in the atmosphere. Um, EPA is critical to getting us there. So uh, they need to buckle down and start writing a new standard uh, that will take effect in 2027 and run through the phase out of gasoline powered vehicles. Um, and because there will be a lot of gasoline powered vehicles sold before they're finally phased out, literally 17 million new cars are sold every year in the United States, um, there need to be substantial improvements in the gasoline powered vehicles as well as um, uh, accelerating the shift, um, pardon the pun, uh, to electric vehicles. So let me ask you something about this. Um, <clears throat> how does this get done? We've talked about the EPA. Uh, I mentioned that, again, from my perspective, I've seen that the EPA has been criticized, um, not just by folks who don't feel that their regulations are fair, but others who don't feel that they're strong enough. But the EPA is an agency. Uh, we've seen just recently um, cont uh, contesting whether, for example, OSHA has uh, the power to uh, uh, participate in vaccine mandates across the country. And we've heard from the Supreme Court saying, well, we don't, maybe they don't. Maybe it's a, it's a Congress sort of thing. You mentioned that California has, may, may have a more aggressive target or does have a more aggressive target as far as um, not selling uh, 
uh, gasoline powered automobiles. But, you know, that strikes me that people will just, get, you know, go to Nevada and buy and buy the car in Nevada and drive it back to California. Um, but the question is, who's who's going to do this? Do you see without congressional legisl legislation, does the does the EPA or any agency have the power to enforce what you said was the goal or what should be the goal, which is at this particular date, 20, 2025, 2030, no more um, gasoline powered vehicles can be sold. And, and then um, through attrition, you know, by 2050, maybe they won't be anymore on the, on the road. Before you answer that, let me let folks know that we're talking to Dan Becker, who's a climate advocate. We're talking about um, he's trying to convert uh, the country, trying to convert over to uh, electric vehicles as a main uh, significant way of reducing um, emissions and therefore um, reducing the prospect of massive climate change. But what, what do you think, again, would be the, the way that with the, the, our system of government, federal and state, regulation versus statute, so on and so forth, that this can be done? Well, you're right that, that Congress has a role. Um, they have played that role substantially already. Uh, there are laws on the books that require EPA to set new standards uh, to protect people's health and the environment from auto pollution. Uh, and the Supreme Court uh, confirmed that uh, in 2007 in a case called Massachusetts versus EPA. Um, and yes, the Supreme Court is, is headed in, in very dangerous directions um, uh, in, in a number of realms, um, and hopefully that won't, the climate won't be one of them. Um, but the way that our government works is that Congress passes laws and the president works or orders uh, his agencies, EPA among them, to execute those laws. So the experts, and there are lots of them, uh, engineers, scientists, uh, and, and others at EPA, uh, who on the president's direction, come up with rules that are then, that then have the force of law. And so uh, the auto companies, for example, uh, have to follow the um, rules set by the EPA. They have to submit their vehicles for testing at EPA. They've cheated on that. Uh, uh, all of the auto companies have cheated on that over the years. Uh, Volkswagen got caught more recently than others. Um, but um, EPA has a key role, but it works at, at the orders of the president. And so that's why the political pressure needs to go on President Biden uh, to ensure that he tells his staff at EPA to issue much tougher rules than the weak ones that were issued at the end of last year. Uh, and, and it's, President has, gets it on, on some level. He has said that global warming is an existential threat. Uh, he's right, unfortunately. Uh, but then the rules need to be up to that threat. They need to be uh, able to meet the challenge that the scientists have warned about and that the climate is now throwing at us with wildfires, floods, hurricanes, uh, uh, downpours, uh, sea level rise, melting of the Arctic, melting of glaciers on, on all continents, um, the dying out of, of key species because the um, ecosystem in which they lived is no longer where they are. Uh, so all of these things are, are incumbent uh, on the president to fix. And he can't do it himself, but he tells EPA 
you guys go and do this. And the, the standards need to be tough enough to uh, meaningfully change the curve of emissions. Uh, and then once the rule, I mean, the auto companies will fight all the way down until the rule is final. And they sometimes have sued. That's, that's how the Supreme Court got that case of Massachusetts versus EPA. Uh, that, that industry and, and, uh, and others sued to try to prevent EPA from having the authority to control auto pollution. Uh, but once it's final, the, the auto companies have tended to comply. Uh, yeah, they cheat when they can, but um, generally speaking, they, they do follow the law. Well, let me ask you this. This is a concern I have. <clears throat> um, it seems like it's been at least 20 years in which the EPA has been active in um, uh, increasing uh, pressure to uh, have less emissions, better gas mileage, and so on and so forth. So they, they, they did that. And in a way, it seems like maybe um, it was self-defeating in terms of the larger goals, because what happened was everything from cars as well as trucks or whatever, they did increase their, um, uh, their gas mileage, which also meant presumably lesser emissions. But then I think the public, many in the public took that as, okay, free ticket now. It's okay. It's okay if I have an, an SUV. It's okay if I have a Land Rover. It's okay if I have a pickup because instead of getting 16 miles per gallon, you know, the posted mileage I'm getting is, you know, 25 miles per gallon. But that, that was a negative experience, I think, as I look at it now. But what is troubling to me, and hopefully you can untrouble me, is... It's different to tell automobile companies, you have to improve your cars. You can sell as many cars, you can still sell cars that um, are powered by gasoline. You just have to make them more efficient as opposed to saying you can no longer make a car with an internal combustion engine period. And therefore you have to invest millions and millions of dollars in retooling so that the next car that comes off the assembly line is an electric vehicle. That seems like that's going to be subject to a greater resistance, but also a greater legal challenge. What do you, what do you say to that? Um, fair question. Uh, the auto companies don't like to be told what to do uh, and they don't like to change what they do. Uh, and if you look at today's vehicles, they're not terribly dissimilar from what uh, GM and Ford and, and Chrysler, now Stellantis, were making 100 years ago. Uh, there's a lot of steel uh, with an internal combustion gasoline-powered engine running on four pneumatic tires. Um, yeah, they're you know, fancier accoutrement, but basically it's the same thing that, that, that auto companies were making in, in the 1920s. Um, think about, in, in contrast to that, um, what telephone companies were making in the 1920s. There was a, a, a big box on the wall with a speaker, uh, a, a speaker that you could put to your ear and there was a microphone that stuck out and you'd crank it up and you'd say, hey, Edith, get me Mabel. Um, today, this is, this is what people use to, to call Edith and Mabel. Um, and that's a big difference uh, compared to 1920. Uh, whereas the auto companies are pretty much doing the same, same thing they were doing then. Um, they need to get with the program. Um, and some of them understand that if only because 
their shareholders are calling them up and saying, you know, hey, I bought stock in General Motors and you guys are, are now worth a tiny fraction, uh, 10% of what my friend next door, uh, his investment in Tesla. You know, Tesla now, today, Tesla is worth more than a trillion dollars on Wall Street. And it is worth more than virtually all of the major auto companies combined. That's because they're the future. And, and the, the, the investors on Wall Street are saying, I'm going to bet on the future. I'm going to, I'm going to buy Tesla and not GM. So there is some self-interest uh, at stake for the auto companies to get it and to begin to make the shift. There's also China. Um, the, the Chinese uh, government um, has a lot of influence in what happens in China, more than our government does here. Um, and they, they have essentially said to uh, the auto industry, you're going to have to make electric vehicles. And they've said to foreign automakers like Ford, if you want to sell vehicles in China in 2030, 40% of what you sell here are going to have to be electric vehicles. So the auto companies are looking at their investors, they're looking at Wall Street, they're looking at China, um, and you know, they're engineers and they've got the best engineers in the world. I say, hey, yeah, of course we can do this. You have to let us, let us loose, let us go and, and do what we know how to do and make uh, the transition to a clean, uh, clean vehicle future. Uh, so uh, yes, the auto companies uh, are resistant. They always have been. Uh, yes, they don't always tell the truth. Uh, they also do something else that's very important. They, uh, they know how to sell cars. Uh, and one of the ways that they sell cars is marketing. And uh, the US auto industry spends about $14 billion a year on marketing. That's advertising that you see on TV where you see these giant trucks driving up to the top, top of Pikes Peak and people playing Frisbee at the top. Um, you, you see Ford Tough, um, all of those ads are paid for by industry because they think it sells their vehicles. Um, they don't, I haven't seen a lot of ads for electric vehicles, uh, but the $14 billion drives the market. And so um, the auto company, France just last week ordered that any ad for an automobile to be sold in France has to also talk about the advantages of non-automotive uh, transportation, public transportation, biking, walking, whatever. Um, so some other countries get it, and some other countries are requiring that the auto companies spend their prodigious marketing budgets to help educate people about alternatives to driving gas-guzzling vehicles. So that's where we got to go. Well, viva uh, la difference between France and the United States, I would argue. I mean, I can't imagine the United States being able to push that kind of uh, regulatory change on automobile companies. I mean, you barely get, you know, the crawler uh, across the, the screen showing that uh, particular drugs have horrible side effects or it hasn't been approved by the FDA. But that isn't that, isn't that part of the problem? We don't have the kind of societal um, issues that are, or we have societal issues that, you know, European countries like France uh, apparently don't have. But to, to your point, maybe even if the car companies didn't say, oh, you can also ride a bicycle, if they, ha instead of seeing the truck 
climb up Pike's Peak, which of course, you know, everybody needs to climb up Pike's Peak in a truck. If they had somebody saying, this vehicle I can get from here to, you know, Toledo, Ohio without having to refill, but you don't even see that. And, and, and I don't know, again, whether a, a government mandate would, would even be upheld or whether that's even in the cards, but the car companies aren't doing that. They, they, use, they do talk about uh, uh, mileage, but they don't talk about the benefits of an electric vehicle. And I think that's part of why people are still confused about whether it's time to buy into that process. So a couple of different points. First of all, um, uh, once the auto companies are required by EPA rules to make more clean cars, at that point, uh, perhaps they'll see it as in their self-interest to advertise them. Uh, I, I agree with you. It, it, it's probably not going to happen that the Federal Trade Commission orders them to start uh, advertising diverse uh, forms of transportation. Um, but um, the, the auto companies will, will eventually see it in their self-interest and, and hopefully will, will uh, sell the cars uh, that are clean as, as effectively as they sell the cars that are filthy. Um, second, um, many consumers, uh, uh, it, it is in the interest of many consumers to buy an electric vehicle today. It's not in the interest of everybody to buy an electric vehicle today. If you regularly drive uh, 150 miles a day, an electric car probably isn't for you yet. It will be in the future, but it isn't yet. Um, but most people don't do that. Um, and most people have more than one car. Uh, so the first thing is that um, people can uh, uh, get an electric car if it meets their needs. If it, um, if, if it meets your driving pattern, uh, and you would like to save thousands of dollars on gas at the pump. Um, you mentioned SUVs. Um, the auto companies um, make a lot more money on SUVs than they make, and pickups, than they make on cars, on, on traditional sedans. And because of loopholes in the rules that EPA wrote, that other agencies wrote, um, uh, pickups and, and vans and SUVs were subject to weaker standards than cars were. And so the auto companies in their infinite wisdom decided um, we're, we're gonna exploit this loophole. And of course they lobbied for the loophole. Um, we're gonna make virtually everything we sell a pickup SUV or van. And there are now 96%, 94% of Ford and, and GM vehicles uh, are now uh, pickups, SUVs or vans and only a handful are cars. And the Toyota has followed the same uh, bad example. Um, even though um, many, of the, many of the people who uh, drive a giant uh, pickup uh, don't need it. Uh, and how many times do you walk down the street in a city and see a, a pickup truck with a pristine bed that's never seen a bale of hay or, or any industrial machinery um, but it, it meets the, the, the marketing set um, uh, view of the consumer that, oh, this is a cool thing to buy. Um, the, the, there, there are consequences for that. Uh, the kids in the back of the SUV are going to inherit a climate created by that SUV. Uh, and so there, 
it is in our self-interest to buy the most efficient, the cleanest vehicle that meets our needs. I mean, if you've got six kids, okay, you, you're gonna have to buy a bigger vehicle than a sedan, but most people don't. Um, and, uh, you know, again, and, and if you're a farmer and you need a pickup truck, of course, you're gonna get a pickup truck. But um, the, the urban cowboy doesn't necessarily need one. And what they're hauling around is, is sort of the automotive version of the appendix, uh, an, an antiquated uh, organ that, that really doesn't serve a, a current function. Um, but the auto companies love to market it and talk about how roomy it is and how, how the butt warmers are, are so marvelous in it. Um, and they can fill these vehicles with all kinds of fancy doodads, um, not just cup holders, uh, that, that they can con people into paying a lot of money for. So you're, you're buying a vehicle that doesn't just get you around, but that does a lot of other stuff that you may not need. Uh, at exorbitant cost, and then you're paying for gas for it, uh, which is destroying the atmosphere. You're going to leave your kids in the back. So uh, I'm resonating with what you're talking about, Dan. Uh, my, my guest again, for those of you <clears throat> tuning in, uh, Dan Becker, a, a climate advocacy expert um, working for a safe climate um, against um, um, global warming in the existential threat of the century would appear. Um, I, I don't, I don't get why the exemptions, if there are, if there are exemptions or just lo looser standards exist for SUVs. Um, trucks, again, to those, to the extent that you need to have a heavy truck to haul around stuff, <laughs> um, I, maybe, maybe there's a, a, a benefit or a rationale for that. But as you say, now that we're in a situation where sedans <clears throat> are the smallest component of the auto market, why hasn't it already been, why hasn't it been done already to say, you know what, we're not giving free passes anymore to SUVs. We're not going to encourage people to buy larger and larger vehicles uh, that are, are not necessary for typical transport. Why has that not been done? Because the auto companies won't let it be done. Uh, the auto companies hire lobbyists, lots of them, and spend an inordinate amount of money both on lobbying and on campaign contributions through their PACs uh, to try to force Congress uh, not to take, uh, not to adopt legislation that would uh, update and, and modernize uh, our, our vehicle fleet and the amount of pollution that comes out of the tailpipes of them. Uh, but they also very heavily lobby uh, the government, the, the administration. Uh, President Biden, uh, the uh, heads of the agencies, uh, they lobby members of Congress to call President Biden and tell him not to do the things that we tell them to do. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a lobbying game that the industry plays. Uh, they also do uh, lots of campaign contributions. I mentioned the PACs. Um, they fill the coffers of many um, anti-environmental members of Congress, and those members of Congress have a lot of influence. Uh, and they also um, uh, try to convince the president and appear to have in the last round that weak standards are just fine. So um, the, the, the reason that there are bad laws and, and bad rules and, and weakness uh, when there needs to be strength uh, is that industry uses its power to keep it that way. Well, I would submit that I'm not letting the public off the hook. Um, we don't have to buy those trucks. We, we, we don't have to buy the vans. We could be more 
you know, we could change our uh, posture of buying and then presumably the auto companies would pay more attention to that than they do to the hundreds of thousands of dollars that or millions of, of pack money or money that's supporting um, keeping things exactly the way they are. So, you know, people who buy pickup trucks, ask yourself the question, do you really need a pickup truck? <laughs> you need a, do you need a, a big land roving type and I'm not condemning one particular brand, but do you need, do you need that Hummer? Do you need, <laughs> so in any event, um, let me, um, again, this uh, maybe switch topics because I know we talked about another major source of pollution, which is uh, heavily involved in environmental degradation, uh, which is power plants. So Dan Becker, again, is my guest, director of the Safe Climate Transport Campaign, involved in many uh, other <clears throat> ways in terms of publications and uh, tr trying to um, convince lawmakers to make changes to head off um, a catastrophe with uh, the, the worst effects of climate change. What is it about, unless you want to comment on what I just said, what is it about power plants I know that we said we would, would talk about on this, on this show? Um, well, I certainly agree that people should buy the most efficient vehicle that meets their needs. We're not telling you don't buy a vehicle uh, that meets your needs. We're saying, um, get the one that, that is gentlest on, on the atmosphere. Um, the power plants are, are critical. Um, again, two thirds of, of global warming emissions come out of power plants and vehicles. Uh, so we talked a lot about cars and vehicle, vehicle emissions. Uh, the power plants are, I mean, a lot of people don't know what a power plant is. They think that these factories with big smokestacks on the periphery of cities uh, are, are, are making some product. They're in many cases uh, making electricity. Uh, and to do so, they're burning fossil fuels. Uh, traditionally, it's been coal. Uh, that is beginning to shift in, in part for economic reasons, in part for environmental reasons, uh, to gas. Uh, and in uh, New England and New York, uh, there's, there's still oil being burned in, in many power plants. Um, coal is the filthiest fuel. Uh, it has more carbon emissions per increment of electricity generated than uh, oil, which has more than gas. Um, but solar and wind have none. Um, and solar and you know, solar power is free. Um, I got my start working for Ralph Nader, uh, <clears throat> and he said, you know, if there were a meter on the sun, we'd have solar power right away. Um, so we need the, um, the, the power plants to become cleaner. And some of that is, um, uh, is going to be switching also to cleaner sources of energy, solar, wind, geothermal, tidal power. Um, now, uh, roughly uh, seven or 8% of uh, electricity in the United States is uh, clean renewable, renewable meaning it's from the sun and therefore it doesn't get exhausted. Um, at least not for billions of years. Um, uh, but that needs to increase. And the fastest increasing um, form of energy is renewable energy. Uh, there are a lot more wind turbines. Uh, there are a lot more solar panels. Uh, and that needs to increase a lot. Um, and we need to get rid of the coal uh, because it's the filthiest. Uh, that needs to go first. And it, it's beginning to phase out in part because gas became so cheap. 
um, and uh, has basically nudged it out of the market um, or has begun to nudge it out of the market. Um, but we need to move forward at a, a, a more rapid pace. Uh, th there are bills that um, President Biden and others have proposed that would uh, dramatically increase the shift to an investment in renewable energy. This is a new industry that, that the United States could, could dominate and make um, profits and, and new jobs by selling to the rest of the world. Uh, and instead, uh, we're buying it from Spain, from Denmark, from other countries, from China. Um, and the renewable energy industry is, is growing at an, an enormous rate from a very low level, but uh, it has an enormous opportunity. So that, that's where we've got to go. Uh, uh, electrifying our homes will clean up lots of the pollution that um, uh, is associated with um, our society. You know, obviously, um, a charger that, that recharges an electric car is a lot cleaner than a gasoline-powered vehicle. Um, a refrigerator that runs on solar pa pa panels that are on the roof uh, or down the street uh, or across town uh, is a lot cleaner than, than one that, that um, runs on the coal that is burned at a local power plant. So um, the, the, the technology, again, exists. Uh, it's inexpensive. Um, and it, it's good for jobs in, in this country. It's inexpensive. So let me, again, we only have a few minutes left, but I do want to touch up a little further on this. Uh, a power company is a company typically that produces electricity. Uh, those companies are generally, if not invariably, public utilities, meaning they're highly regulated. Uh, the reason they're public utilities because they're necessary and um, governments have had a, a significant influence on what they do. If the technology is there and it's not that expensive, why can't that happen overnight? Why can't a power plant that was dependent upon coal or natural gas or oil immediately be told uh, in, an, in the next couple of years, you need to be off of that and using solar or wind or whatever else is available? They can, um, not overnight, but as you say, in a few years. Uh, and there are a, a number of states have adopted uh, so-called renewable portfolio standards that say, because you are a company that is a monopoly, because you're in the business of generating electricity for everyone in, in your service area, we're going to require you to um, uh, diversify from fossil fuels into renewable energy. And that's been very successful, even in Texas of all places, uh, when he was governor, uh, George, uh, George W. Bush um, uh, signed a law that required a dramatic increase in renewable energy, mostly wind in Texas. And, and Texas is now a powerhouse of wind. Um, so all of this is possible. Uh, it's up and again, because these are regulated monopolies, uh, the government can require them and they've agreed to be subject to government instruction as to certain things. And one of them can be uh, uh, dramatically shifting from uh, fossil fuel to renewable energy. And remember, there are lots of different power plants uh, and you can turn one off and replace it with uh, wind turbines and solar panels. Um, you don't have to turn everything off at once. But basically, we need to phase out the fossil fuel-generated uh, power, electricity, uh, and phase in cleaner, uh, efficient, 
job creating renewable energy. So what what's it what's required there? Be so if the, if the mandate is can be applied, what's what's required? Do, does the, it doesn't seem like the public knows as much about this. We're all lots of us are being besieged by solar companies trying to get us to put solar panels on top of our house. Um, uh, government agencies are doing it locally. I don't I, you don't hear so much about it like with the Duke Energies of the world or you know. Uh, Con Ed or whatever, but you're saying it is happening. It, it has begun to happen. Um, uh, yes, there are companies like Duke that are dragging their feet. Um, they need to get with the program. Um, and, you know, some of them uh, will point out that they, you know, look, we only finished building that very expensive power plant uh, X years ago. We're still trying to pay off the bonds by charging you extra as a consumer. Um, we don't want to just turn it off. Well, no one's saying you have to just turn it off. What they're saying is we need to start phasing out the um, fossil fuel plants and replace them with renewable plants. And yes, you'll make money from renewables. We're in favor of that. Uh, if, if they didn't make money from it, they probably wouldn't do it. So uh, th there is some, um, uh, some impetus already there needs to be a lot more. In some cases, it's up to states that require improvements, the Public Service Commission of the state, Public Utility Commission of the state. Um, and in, in other cases, it's really up to the federal government. EPA does set standards. Uh, the standards that President Obama tried to set were blocked by the industry uh, and by some very conservative states. Um, and uh, President Biden has a proposal as part of his Build Back Better program. Uh, and um, the Senate has essentially blocked that. Um, Senator Manchin gets most of the blame and he deserves some, but there are 49 other senators, um, actually 50 other senators, um, who have also refused to, to vote for it. So, um, and, and, and what that would have done was again, uh, 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 more, uh, rapidly uh, shift the transition to clean renewable energy and more efficient um, use of, of uh, fossil fuels. I want to thank my guest today, Dan Becker, Director of Safe Climate Transport Campaign, involved in many, many aspects of the fight uh, against global warming. Uh, quickly, Dan, where can people get in touch or follow you or see what you're up to? Uh, so my organization is the Center for Biological Diversity, biologicaldiversity.org, uh, and the campaign uh, website is safeclimatecampaign.org. And thank, thank you, you, Dan. For having me. Thanks for thank listening. You. Been very informative. We'll see you next time.